Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. And now, here are Bob and Richard. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. My name is Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is gambling author Peter Olson, author of The Vig, Confessions of an Ivy League Bookie. Peter Olson, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. Hi, guys. Glad to be here. So we were with Peter a few weeks ago talking about his new book on poker, The Only Way to Play It. And this is a reprint of sorts of a 25-year-old book. And so most 25-year-old books that aren't bouncing off the charts don't get reprinted. Uh, how did this come to be, um, Peter? Well, um as, as I think I mentioned to you guys last time, uh, I have started a small imprint called Arbitrary Press, and uh, we published my novel, The Only Way to Play It, uh, as well as my 14-year-old daughter's novel uh, called the, the Novice Twins. And uh, the, the book that is uh, the third book, which is also coming out simultaneously with the novel on September 15th, um was um a book that uh from an author's standpoint i had wa- always wanted to have um a paperback uh edition of when i originally sold the 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 book to crown publishing um there was there had been an offer from uh, Pocket Books, which is uh, a division of Simon and & Schuster, and they had offered what is called a hard soft deal to publish a hardcover and then the paperback. But my agent at the time thought that we would get a better deal on the paperback selling it separately. Well, as these things sometimes go, uh, a paperback never materialized. And uh, so that was in retrospect, a poor decision on my part because I always thought that the 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 major part of the audience for this book would be a a paperback reading audience that it was um, a, a book that was going to appeal to to young people um, primarily uh, you know uh, young uh, college kids and also the gambling community. 
Um, so I was, I was very disappointed that it, it never had that, that life in paperback. And when the rights reverted to me a number of years ago, I had, um, cons- always considered, um, uh, republishing it. And, uh, I finally now have, have the chance to do that. And I think like as from a publishing standpoint, um, there are, there are books that, um, publishers do, the, do this, uh, from time to time. They, they republish a book that they consider, um, undiscovered, that it never, that it never found its, its real audience. And they think that there is an audience out there for it. And as a publisher, that's, that's what I believe for, for this book. So I'm, I'm excited to be publishing it. And, and I, and I really hope, uh, that, um, that it does find an audience. And, and, you know, I think it's a book that your listeners in particular would, would find interesting. Yeah. Well, I concur with that conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this book is nonfiction and you start, you worked as a bookie, like, I don't know, 30 years ago. How did, how did you get into that? So, <laughs> Well, the book, uh, actually, um, tells the story of, of how I, I came to, to be a bookie, but, um, it, it happened at a point where I was sort of betwixt and between. I was in my, my early thirties and, uh, I had just come out of a, a broken, uh, romance that, that left me in bad shape emotionally and, um, Financially, things were, were rocky for me. And it, it turned out I, I just, I had been living in Chicago. I came back to New York and, um, the son of a, of a dear friend of mine, uh, was who I had last seen as a, as a teenager. He was now in his early twenties, but the last time I had seen him, he had been in, in, you know, just a kid in, in, you know, sneakers and a t-shirt. And, um, she invited me to her, to her house, uh, in, in the Hamptons for, in, for the weekend. And, uh, and I didn't even have money for a bus fare, for bus fare up there, but she, she said her son was driving up and I could get a ride from him. So he gave me a, a ride, uh, up. And when I went to meet him, uh, there he was in this, snazzy sports car with a beautiful blonde in the passenger seat. And I was completely taken aback and, and wondered, you know, how, how he had the last time I'd seen him, he'd been on a skateboard. Now he was driving a sports car. What, what happened? And it turned out he was working for a, a bookie. And um, over the course of the weekend, I, I had a lot of experience in the gambling world, though none, in sports gambling, and most of my most of my previous experience was playing poker. Um, but during the course of the weekend, he told me all about being a bookie, and it fascinated me. And then after the weekend, he called me up and offered me a job working there. And um, not having any better offers, I I took him up on it. So that was that was how I got into it. Now, the so much actually the opening of the book 
is something that um it's been interesting to me. At the very opening scene, prologue, you and two guys we later find out were co-workers of you are being arraigned in a Brooklyn court in front of a judge uh, on the bookie charge. And the, the question is whether or not you're going to get bail. So then you flash back and tell how you got there. But we all know that you're going to end up not getting away with this that you're going to have to go to court and have your day in court, uh, which is an interesting way to tell a story. To So there was no mystery as to whether or not you were going to get caught. We knew you were. Why did you choose to do it this way? You know, as a, as a writer, um, how to tell a story is always is always the key question. In in this case, I, I felt that it, it wasn't really – um, that important to have shock value in the arrest that, that actually there was a tension in knowing that it, it was coming. Um, and that really the journey to that place, I, I, I really wanted to, to engage the reader in, in wondering how this, um, Ivy educated guy winds up, uh, in a, in a doing something and engaged in a pursuit that where, where jail is, is probably the inevitable end of it. And, um, so I thought starting off there was, was a good way to introduce what the stakes were and then to watch the unfolding of it and to, to see how, how he gets there would would carry the reader along and you know i i think it i think it works yeah i agree and definitely i thought it definitely worked um, it's certainly yeah. a way of of grabbing us at the beginning and drawing us into the story so um yeah and that's that's you're right and that that is um i mean you know it, it seemed like a, a a sort of grabber of a, of an opening and, and, you know, most books begin, uh, most, most good books, uh, begin with a question, um, however it's presented. And, and the question in this case is, how, how did, how did this guy end up in this place? Okay. One of your coworkers is named Bob. Now that's my name. But Bob's a common name, and nobody's going to come to the conclusion that I was a character in the book, and indeed I wasn't. One of your other co-workers, though, is named Spanky, uh, which is an unusual name. One of the top sports bettors in the country is named Spanky. He has a New York accent. He's about the right age. It would not be too hard to believe that he got his start working as a bookie. Is this the same Spanky? Uh, no, it's, it's not. And, and actually the spanking in the book, I changed, um, because it, it, to protect the guilty, as they say, I changed all the names in the book. So, uh, Spanky was, was not his real name. And actually the, the inspiration for, for Spanky, when I, when I grew up, I watched, uh, the, 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 the dead end kids. 
and and uh and, oh right the little rascals and spanky was was uh the character there and 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 this um this particular character the, the guy i called spanky uh certainly reminded me of the spanky from the little rascals uh he you know he had that dead end kid quality so uh, uh that's that's uh that's that's how that came about now, other than the names, did you change anything else? I mean, how much – all memoirs are a little bit fictionalized. How much of this one is? You know, that's a good question. And, and uh, I, I know at the time that I wrote it, it was as close to the truth as I could get it. Um, there, there were uh, very few things that took place in the book that did not take place in, in real life. But, but, um, I, I recently had to, to reread the book to, to get it ready for publication. And it was such a, an odd experience for me because I, as I was reading it, I was going, God, did, did that really happen? Did, did I do that? Um, and, um, uh, but I know that at the time I wrote it, uh, that, that, you know, as opposed to certain other, um, memoirs that have come out subsequently, uh, which I won't name that have, uh, wound up in hot water because they were, they were found out later to, to have many things made up. This, this was not, this was, this was like 98 and a half percent. Uh, it all happened. So, um, I mean, I changed a few things again to, to protect people, but really not, not that much. So in this bookie's office, there are, there's some degenerates who work there and the degenerates in a bookie's office aren't a whole lot different than the degenerates who are found in poker rooms or the ones I knew were found in backgammon clubs. Um, is this generally true in your, is this an, an, a reasonable conclusion to make in your opinion? Um, I mean, yeah, certainly, uh, they're, they're, uh, they tend to be slightly sketchy, um, as, you know, um, as all people who, who end up, uh, in, in a fringe occupation are, um, but, uh, my experience is both in, in poker rooms and, uh, in, in this, this bookie office, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. And some of my best friends in the world have come out of the, the, uh, the poker world. And, uh, in this bookie office, I, I really grew very fond of most of the guys there. That's not to say all of them. I had my problems with some of them. Um, but that, you know, that's, that's to be expected. Um, I, I don't know if you guys are, are fans of, of Salinger, but in, in the catcher in the rye, um, at the end of the book, Holden Caulfield, uh, come, comes to the, to the realization that he, that all of the people that he's described in the book have somehow become 
quite dear to him and that he misses them. And, and I can say that I, I feel that way, um, about, about a lot of the characters in that book by, by, by the end of my experience there, uh, which lasted about 13 months. I, I was really fond of those guys. They had, they had become a, a kind of family to me. Did you, did you stay in touch with any of them? Are you still in touch with any of them? So the only, the, there was a character, uh, your namesake, uh, Bob's namesake, um, there's a character named Bob, not his real name, um, who has become a, a good friend of mine and, um, he has, um, moved on from, from, uh, the bookie life. He actually got got involved, started um, a a biotech uh, company, which he uh, recently sold for a huge amount of money. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but but he and I uh, were friends right from the start. I mean, it was uh, it was a, an unusual friendship, but it was a good friendship and. Uh, and he's he's a really good friend of mine. In fact, we were supposed to have dinner together last night, um, although it got canceled. But, the thing, yeah. the thing that I like most about this book is um, you have captured really the end of an era. I mean, it was not much after this time that you write about when everything moved to computers, but but you were there in the days when you were literally writing bets down on betting slips. And um, could you talk? And and phones were ringing off the hook. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like and what your? Because you had procedures in case you got raided to make sure that they didn't find the betting slips and things like that. Can you talk about how how that all worked back then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and and I, I will also spin off of this to talk a little bit again about why I think publishing the book now is is relevant. Um, but yeah, we, we hand wrote, uh, our, uh, the bets on triplicate betting slips, which the top copy was, was white, the middle copy was yellow, and the bottom copy was pink. And we would take the pinks, uh, and put them in a, a, um, a, uh, a hiding place. Uh, usually it was a, a, a sort of a, a hole, a hole cut in the floor with a board put over it or into a closet or, um, like that. And that was in case the, the office got raided, we would have a record of the bets so that we could, uh, collect on them or, or pay out as, as the case might be. And, and, uh, so that we would be able to go back to our customers and, and know because when they would raid the office, they would confiscate everything, uh, you know, all the betting slips, the phones, everything. They'd tear the place apart. Um, so, so that was, uh, that it was to be doing that at that particular time in history and the history of, of bookmaking was fascinating because it was, a, it was a collision of the, the, the past and the future and the guys who, um, were were running the office were coming up against the 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 young guys who were were coming up in the office uh, who who were using cell phones and were sort of pushing 
for using technology, the new technology, in ways that it hadn't been used by by the old guard. And um, I, I actually think that that there would uh, and and there's been some discussion about turning this book into a TV series. Um, and and my idea for that series would be that it would it would really center around that culture clash between between the old and the new, and it was really at that specific time when when computers were were just starting to to really take hold and and all of that, and and now the bookmaking business is as you say it's completely different, um, and the the reason I think that this book uh, has has a particular relevancy right now is is because I think that um, at least my experience in this pandemic has been uh, that I've I've noticed uh, a real kind of nostalgia that that people have um, to for 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 what was a simpler time, and uh, so I think you know for readers of this book they'll they'll be able to to see what uh sports betting and, and the bookie world was was like in a simpler time and i think there's a there's a there's a kind of romance to it for that reason well what a, what about um paying and collecting were you ever tasked with having to go out and either pay off you know customers or pick up the money from the customers yeah i mean i did a little bit of that um it it was it was very high tech we would we would meet up we would meet up with them carrying a paper bag full of money or they would have a paper bag a brown paper bag full of money for us and we would meet somewhere it might be in a cafe or in a street corner and and an exchange would be made and that was so i mean it was you know it was very personal you you had real contact with your customers uh which you know now it's all done on on a cell phone with you know with uh, Venmo or PayPal or whatever. One of the running questions throughout the book was: Was your office associated with the mob, or which mob, or if not, why not, or would the mob cause problems? Those kind of things. Yeah. So. How much- yeah, go. No, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it was, it's an open-ended question of how much were those places actually, were any totally free of the mob or most of them hooked up somehow or how did that work? It's, it's a really good question. I, uh, I never was able to get a totally straight answer. Um, the, the, the sort of best answer I, I ever got was, I mean, we were not straight connected. Um, so there were certainly mob bookmaking offices that were, that were, you know, being run by the mob. Um, in our case, um, it was, uh, I, I would say the likelihood is that, um, that the guys who, who, the big boss of our place was paying some kind of, uh, fee, protection fee. Um, and, uh, but, but 
the way it was described to me was that he's friends with a bunch of guys and nobody knows who he's with. So, so therefore he's sort of managed to, to, to navigate this without having to be directly connected because some guys think he's with other guys and the other guys think he's with the other guys. Now, you know, I, I, I'm not naive, but I also was never able to absolutely ascertain the truth. So one of the, the other thing that I found really interesting in the book, which um, there wasn't a lot of talk about it, but and that was when you got calls from someone you thought was one of Billy Walters' players or some other sharp better, and yeah. how that worked. Yeah. So so um, we um, like like many other offices. Um, would take bets from, from, uh, players we knew were, were smart money, like, like Billy Walters, like Stevie Z, the computer group. Um, but we only, uh, would take, uh, a certain amount of money from them. And as soon as they, they called in a bet, we would, uh, the whole office would, uh, somebody would snap their fingers if they had one of them on the phone and the whole office would then come to high alert and the line would, would be changed to reflect, uh, what, so they were actually line movers. They would move the line and in, in rapid, uh, fire succession after, after one of them called in, the followers would call in, but they would be getting a, an adjusted line. Now, occasionally they played games with that. So they, they'd call in a, a phony bet to, to shift the line. And then they'd suddenly they'd come in the other way, uh, getting an even better line than they'd had before. But, you know, these were, it was all part of a, a big, you know, cat and mouse game. Um, and we would take the information when they called, us uh and bet a certain way we would call to our outs and make bets ourselves um on on those hot on the hot sides so yeah this was something in my interview with um billy walters that he complained about was that that bookmakers didn't want to be bookmakers they wanted to get the information and become betters um and yeah it sounds like that was very much what was happening but i thought i got the um understanding that there was some kind of agreement that he would bet with you and some other bookmakers earlier than right. others now, that was the agreement and that's because the 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 boss of our office uh who had been in the business for a long time you know knew new billy walters new stevie z um so he did have an arrangement with those guys um so, you know, we, we were, we were in general coming out on the, the, the sweet end of things. Your office, your office was a bunch of guys. And, but at one point, a pretty girl gets hired and kind of changes the dynamic. How did that work? <laughs> well, it, it, 
it definitely changed the dynamic, even though she was, uh, you know, what I would describe as a, as a, as a tough chick. Uh, in fact, she had been, uh, the, she was, uh, uh, supposedly the, the ex-girlfriend of the, the big boss of, of our, um, office. But, um, a lot of the guys did not, did not love having uh, a woman in the office. I, I wasn't one of them. She, she and I became friends and I found her to be um, a very sympathetic character. She'd had a tough life. Um, her sister had died and she had uh, inherited the care of her sister's uh, young son who had been diagnosed with, with uh, cancer and, and, uh, didn't didn't have long to live, and uh, she was trying to make the best of things for him. And um, when, um, well, I don't want to give away too much of the book, but but something happens uh, that that puts that that puts the office in a um, in in a in a kind of. Um, <laughs> high state of, of dudgeon and she is, she's, she ends up getting, getting blamed for it. And I was, I was very uh, distressed about that. Um, I, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was fair. And um, uh, anyway, it, it, but it was, it was uh, a, a, a very intense uh, interlude uh, in, in the course of things uh, while she was there. Now, it turns out that in this office, you get some kind of a salary or hourly wage. But the way to make big money is to bring in losing players. And you will get a certain cut of their losses. And what that cut is, is negotiated. But in the book, when this happens, there's... There's losses, but some of these guys win some of the time. I mean, everybody wins some of the time. So how did that work? A guy loses $2,000 in one week, and you get your cut. The next week, he wins $1,000. And the next week, he loses again. So how did that work with the cut, and did you have to pay back when he won, or how did that work? No. So what happens when, when a guy, uh, wins, um, you have what's called a red figure. So if he lost 2000 the first week, uh, you would get your percentage. And then the next week he, he wins a thousand. So you don't get any percentage and you then have a thousand dollar red figure. And the next week he loses 2000 again. Well, a thousand of that goes to paying off your red figure, and then you get um, a percentage out of the the remaining thousand. So, um, you know, the idea obviously is that that you you don't want to be in in the red for for too long because that that cuts into your earnings. Um, but you know, we we um, determined that um, that most players and, and, you know, you have, you have the shark money and you have the sucker money and, and, and obviously your bread and butter player players are, um, 
in general, the, the small, you know, dollar players, um, and they all tend to, to be long-term losers. Um, and, um, you know, but, but the, the sought after, uh, the most sought after kind of better is, is, is the whale, which is somebody who's going to bet a lot and, and, um, and lose a lot, hopefully. Um, and that's, that's where you, you, you know, make your, your, your big scores. Um, but the more people you have on your, on your sheet and each, as, as, um, when you're working in the office as a clerk, you are getting a, a, an hourly, um, pay, but like in a, in a law firm, um, as, as a, as a young lawyer, you have to, you have to bring in clients and that's the only way that you get made partner is by bringing in clients. Um, and, and, um, so that's, that's really the, the bread and butter of, of being a bookie is, is you have to keep bringing in, you have to keep bringing in clients. And, and that's, you know, that's not that easy as I found out. Um, and it's also fraught with, with, uh, jeopardy because, um, worse than, than, uh, there being a red figure, Sometimes, uh, you have trouble collecting the money. And when you have trouble collecting the money, you're responsible for whatever it is that they don't pay. And I, I found that out the hard way. So that could easily wipe you out easily. If you, um, you know somebody who you think will be a good better and you invite him in and when he ends up not paying and changing his address and stuff, and you're making a small amount per hour and he just stiffed you on $5,000 that could uh, that could ruin a year easily it's it certainly wouldn't help it um and uh yeah i mean that that is those are those are the hazards of 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 working in that profession all right we're talking to peter olson about his book the vig the Confessions of an Ivy League Bookmaker, and we'll be right back. The South Point has more than 10,000 games, returning more than 99%. This is more than anyone else has. In October, the promotion is free play with a kicker. The promotion is those for those who already receive mailers. You play off your normal amount on Monday or Tuesday, and you get a identical amount of free play on Thursday or Friday. Pick up your mailer all eight times, and you get a double-sized mailer at the end of the month. There will be no free video poker classes this fall due to fallout from the pandemic. At predicted.org, this is a place where you can place bets on who's going to win various elections. Lots of volatile markets uh, before the Election, our listeners receive a one-time deposit match of up to $20 at predicted.org slash promo slash edge. You must play the money through once and cannot withdraw it for 30 days. At videopoker.com, it's the best place to play lots of video poker games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you 
to get correction on most of the games. An additional membership, pro membership, is sold separately at $6.95 a month or $49.95 a year. Listeners may pay 1,000 hands for free and try it out at videopoker.com slash GWAE. The biggest advantage of this is it gives its video poker software that corrects you on both Quick Quads and Ultimate X. You can get a companion membership for both the gold membership and the pro membership at a combined price. If you know of a video of Ultimate X, and that's a game you want to play, the pro membership is cheap at the price. All right. Um, we're back with Peter Olson. How did the book title VIG come about? So the VIG uh, in bookie parlance is uh, is short for the vigorish, which actually comes from a Yiddish word, and it it is the the vig is is also known as the juice. It is the percentage that the tax that bookies charge on all losing bets, um, and generally it's it's ten percent, uh, the eleven to ten as Damon Runyon called it. Um, and, and, uh, so, so I liked it as a word. I always liked the, the VIG. It sounded somehow, uh, uh, sort of, uh, mysterious. I, I like, I like titles where you don't necessarily know what, what they mean when you see them, uh, but they're intriguing. Um, and that was my intention was to use that as the title and to use Confessions of an Ivy League Bookie as the subtitle. But, uh, my publisher talked me out of it. Um, and, and I, I, you know, it was my first book. I didn't feel like I wanted to, to make a stand on that. I figured they knew better than I did. And maybe they did. Um, but it, it struck me when, when I decided to, uh, to reissue the book that now was the opportunity for me to, to give it the title that I had always wanted to give it. And, uh, so that's, that's what I did and that's how it came about. And, um, I'm, I'm glad I did. I, I think the, the cover is striking and, um, and I'm, uh, I'm quite pleased with it. And I did use Confessions of an Ivy League Bookie, the original title, as the subtitle. Does that uh, does that answer your question? That'd be good. That's good. Thanks. Um, life lessons. Did you have any life lessons? Is your life different today because you went through this 13-month period 25 years ago? Well, it's very different. Um, it, you know, I, I had been, um, an aspiring writer. Um, I had been an, a, a successful magazine journalist, um, prior to, to going to work there, but I had several times, uh, tried and failed to, to write my first novel and, um, and I, I was, I was really sort of at the end of my rope wondering if, if that was going to, um, be, 
be where where life took me, whether I was actually going to be able to to write books. And uh, so the the experience of working as a as a bookie for that year um, gave uh, it gave me a story. It gave me a great story. And and so I I wrote that. It was my first book. And that changed my life going forward profoundly. Um, it, it really gave me the, the sense that, that, uh, not only had I done this, but I could continue to do it. What about the arrest? Do you think that changed you or were you able to sort of shrug that off? Well, I, on a personal level, I was able to shrug it off. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it certainly wasn't a, a big deal, but it was eye opening for me in, in many ways. The experience. Just being in the Brooklyn House of Detention for, for 36 hours, it's it's such a grim place, and um, you know now living in in this in this era of um, where where the um, the the racism that exists in in this country is is sort of out there in in full view in in ways that that uh, it never has been, uh, well, it's not to say it never has been, but, but, you know, it is, it is certainly, uh, out there in a way that is striking right now. And for me, in, in the Brooklyn House of Detention to see the things that went on there, where, where our, our cell was actually segregated from, from a, a, a cell with, um, a, a group of African Americans and, and the ways, that they were treated as opposed to how we were treated was eye-opening to me. And it was also, for me, um, because of, of my, um, my privilege, um, and my education, it was, it was humbling to, to think that I had ended up in that place where so many people who hadn't had the opportunities in life that I had had, um, you know, that, that I had ended up there somehow. Um, so that, that, that definitely, uh, was a, was a kick in the ass. Um, and, and I, I knew I didn't, I didn't want my, my life to go in that direction again. So your coworkers knew that you were a writer. They knew that you had a fancy schmancy college degree and they were, Concerned, or at least interested, into whether or not you were going to write a book about them. Were when it did come out, were there any threats or aftermaths or people who believed you had exposed too many secrets or or somehow unhappy with the book? Yeah, I, I mean, not not everyone was happy. Um, and I, I think that, that even though that they, they knew I was a writer, I think that, that most of them assumed that because I was there, I was a fuck up and I was not ever going to be able to pull a book off. Um, so, so I think, I think that, you know, there wasn't, they weren't necessarily prepared, uh, for there to be a book. At the same time, I think that, you know, that, that everyone secretly hopes to have their, their life, um, amplified 
in the form of a book or a movie. And so there was, there was some pleasure that they took in, in seeing themselves written about. But, you know, not all the portraits were, were flattering. And I think some of the guys who, whose portraits were less flattering were, were more unhappy with me. Um, yeah. And, um, that, that also in, in the aftermath, after I had stopped working there and the book came out, uh, there was a period of time where, where I was getting, uh, calls and, and some amount of harassment from, um, a police detective who was investigating, uh, bookmaking operations in the city and he wanted me to name names and he wanted me to corroborate stuff, which of course I refused to do. Um, but, uh, that, that was another, bit of fallout from the book. That policeman could have, he had some tools that could have made your life uncomfortable if he wanted to use them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in the end, I guess, for whatever reason, he, he didn't do that. Um, and, uh, so the only, the two books of yours I've read, both this one and the uh, only way to play it. In addition to the the story about gambling, is simultaneously a story about your relationship with a woman. Mm. In one case, a ex girlfriend, and in the other case, your wife. Uh, and whatever dysfunctionalities go along with that. So that has been a key part to both books, which um, for me, I'm more interested in the gambling and the, the dysfunctionality reminds me too much of my life. So I don't really want to read about that, but I'm sure other people have the reverse opinion on. Uh, so is this an intentional part in probably your next book or your other books this way too? Um, well, so, so first of all, I, I just want to make clear that the, the wife in the only way to play it is, is fictional and, um, and is not, is not and should not be construed as, as autobiographical or, or, uh, you know, following the course of, of my relationship with, with my real wife. Yes. Uh, Sorry for implying no, that. Years. That's okay. In in the case of of the Vig, uh, that is a true story, and 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 the the my girlfriend or ex girlfriend in that book is 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 definitely uh, representative of of what that relationship was like. You know, in both books, though, I think that. Um, uh, at, at the root of it, and in, in, in the only way to play it, um, the character is a is a painter, an aspiring painter, and in in uh, in the big, you know, it was I was I had been been a writer and and still wanted to be a writer, and I think the the relationship of of being an artist to to the need to to make money uh, is is always going to create an interesting tension. And when you complicate that further by, by uh, involving a relationship, um, it, it, it 
definitely, you know, there, there are, I, I think in, in the VIG, um, my feeling was that the, the problems, a lot of the problems that, that I was having in the relationship and the, the woman was, uh, that I'd been, been in love with at that time, what happened to be a single mother. And I had grown up with a, a single mother, so I knew um, what was involved in a relationship uh, like that. For from from the woman's point of view, where there's a, there's a lot of responsibility toward your toward your child, um, and so if your partner is is struggling financially, it it makes it makes the relationship difficult to navigate. And so in the case of my own mother, she wound up uh, marrying a very stable guy and, and, uh, and had a good relationship with him in her second marriage. Um, And, and I always felt with Anna, the character in, in the vig that uh, my, my lack of stability uh, as a writer had contributed to a, to a lot of our problems uh, because of her need to take care of her son and her fear that I wouldn't be able to to do that. So when um, when the the job when I, I took the job as a bookie, that was one of my fantasies is that it would actually um, make me more secure financially uh, because a bunch of the guys at the office were making a ton of money. I mean, our office was making, uh, was doing, uh, $3 million worth of business on a, on a big football Sunday. And guys, guys were just, you know, loaded with cash. Um, Bob, when I would go to his place, he'd open a drawer, it was full of cash. So for me, that represented, um, not only some finance, a chance at some financial stability, but a chance to, to make this relationship uh, possibly work. Um, but, um, things are rarely that simple. And I, I, I think that I was, I was somewhat deluded in that regard. And, and of course the relationship didn't work. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, they want to buy your book or talk to you, pitch an idea for another book, whatever. God, don't wish that on anybody. (laughs) Yeah, want to get Anna's phone number because she sounds great. Whatever it is, how do they get in touch with you? So they can go to my website, which is peteralson.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-A-L-S-O-N.com. And they can also uh, find my my books um, at Amazon.com. They can type in my name there, and they'll see – uh, all, um, five of my books listed and, um, yeah. Are you active on Twitter or Instagram? I am, uh, I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I cannot say that I'm active on either of those. I am active on Facebook, so they can also find me on, on Facebook. Very good. Thank you, Peter Olson. I wish you success on this book and as your success on your poker book, the only way to play it. 
Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. So at the end of our shows, we have a recommended section. So Richard, do you have anything to recommend to our guests this week? Yeah, my recommend this week is a new restaurant that opened, uh, anybody who goes to Trader Joe's on the east side of Las Vegas, um, at the corner of Sunset and Green Valley Ranch across the street, there's a new restaurant called Amore Taste of Chicago. And, uh, I tried it out this week and it was really good. So, um, I would recommend that for anybody. If you want to know what real Chicago pizza tastes like, check it out. Amore Taste of Chicago. And that would be at Sunset and Green Valley Parkway, or the Green yeah, Valley yeah, Ranch. Yeah. It's a casino, yeah. but um, Green, Green Valley, Valley Parkway. Parkway. Yes, you're right. Very good. That actually is the intersection of my go-to dotties. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bonnie likes that intersection because one of the um, the Mexican restaurants, Mexican uh, supermarkets, chain in Las Vegas. It's called La Bonita. And Bonita is the name on Bonnie's birth certificate. So that's kind of special to her, even though she speaks no Spanish and she says Bonita rather than Bonita, but oh well. It's a great corner because it also has a library and the Trader Joe's. So, um, and the only Jewish deli I know on this side of town. Maybe there are others, but that's the one I know. So, Yep. All right. Peter, do you have something to recommend to our guests? I do. I, I recently discovered a show on Netflix that I hadn't heard about, I, I, but I read the description and it sounded intriguing. It's called All American, and uh, I've been binging it. Um, it's about um, a high school football player at Crenshaw in, in L.A., um, who, uh, is, uh, transfers to Beverly Hills High. And he's, uh, he's one of the, the best football players in the country. And, uh, it's all about that transition, uh, from, from, uh, Crenshaw, which is, uh, an all black neighborhood, uh, to, uh, to Beverly Hills. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really well done. Um, and, and, uh, the acting is terrific and, and the storylines are, are relevant to, to a lot of what's going on today in the world. And, uh, for, you know, for anyone who likes, uh, sports dramas, it's, uh, it's sort of got everything going for it. Is this fiction or nonfiction? It's, it's, uh, inspired by a true story. Sounds yeah. good. I will check that out. Yeah. And I th- think one thing I want to say today, we're taping this on Labor Day, and this is the day after Mike Sexton died. Mike Sexton is a poker player, a poker ambassador, helped start up party poker, uh, been in that world for a long time. He was on our show promoting his book. I liked him. He's an excellent player, and he had his demons. He would sometimes talk about being between bankrolls, which is another way of saying he happens to be broke right now. So he was a gambler, and sometimes he gambled too much. But I liked him. Um, sorry to great, see him pass. Great storyteller, too. Yeah. He was. 
He was, and most of our listeners have probably seen him on television on the World Poker Tour. And he was the broadcaster of that for a number of years. So our gambling world will miss him. Rest in peace, Mike. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, to echo that. And I, I knew Mike, uh, pretty well and, and he, he was a great guy. And, uh, he, um, he schooled me a few times in, in poker tournaments. We, we played together and, uh, but he was always very generous in, in, uh, sharing exactly what it was that he had done and why he had done it. And, um, and I, I was appreciative of that. And, um, and he was also, uh, really one of the great forward, forward thinkers and innovators, uh, who, who brought poker into the mainstream. And one t- additional thing you had in common, I think, was that you both were involved in books about Stewie Younger. Well, no, he, he wrote the introduction to, uh, to the book that Nolan Dallin and I did on Stu Younger, uh, one of a kind. So Mike, Mike wrote the introduction to that. And good. So thank you, Peter Olson. Thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day.